Hey, we're going to be in Psalm 8 today as we continue with our summer in the Psalms. Um, and I'm going to be reading Psalm 8 for your hearing before we get into today's message. It's good that I have a handheld mic because I never know what to do with my hands sometimes. I get a little handsy in the messages, so put one hand in my pocket and the other one will be on this mic. All right, so Psalm 8 is where we're going to be today. All right. And it reads this, like this. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty from the mouth of infants and nursing babies. You have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet, all the sheep and the oxen, as well as the mammals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Let me pray for us. Uh, God, our Father, we are here uh, awaiting, ready, and wanting to hear you speak to us. Father, whether we are in this building or watching online, I pray that you would use this time, these moments, to speak to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. So a couple of days ago, I actually got back from a family reunion in the big city of Buffalo Junction, Virginia. Uh, my grandmother grew up there uh, many moons ago. She was born in a house in Buffalo Junction, Virginia in, in 1927. And my family, every year, a group of New Yorkers, about 20 New Yorkers, hops in their car, hop in our cars, and we go down to this house, and it's gotten some upgrades along the way, praise God for that. Um, but... My time at my family reunion is really, truly one of my favorite times. Uh, it's a time to disconnect. Uh, I got like one bar of service if I sit in one corner in the house. Uh, it's a time to spend time with family, to enjoy people, to eat good food, and to relax. But I think the thing that sticks out to me, one of the things that sticks out to me the most about time in Virginia is something that we're unable to do in New York City. So I'm from born and raised in New York. I love New York. You will never catch me talking crazy about New York. But there is something in New York that prevents us from seeing God's beauty and God's majesty in its fullness, and it's something called light pollution. So since we have so much light pollution by these smaller sources, we're, not, we're unable to see the beauty of the sky. But this past uh, week, I was in Virginia, and we went out, and we were doing s'mores by the fire, and I just looked up and saw like this twinkling sky, and it was like, it was breathtaking. It was absolutely beautiful. Now, when you look at the sky and you see the stars, it's really, really hard to then look at yourself and think that like you're really significant. Like it's really hard to look out, and I was doing some research, and as of right now, or as of the time of my last Google search, uh, if you were to look at the stars, the furthest known star is 13.4 billion light years away. 
13.4 billion. That's half of the time it's taken since the Knicks won their last championship. <laughs> now, if, if human beings are existing in a time and a space that you can see a star explode, and it could have happened a billion years ago, think about how huge and vast the universe is. And here's what the scripture says about our God. It says in verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 8, it says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. Scripture says that the work of God's fingers set these stars, which are billions of years scattered throughout the universe away. He did that all with his hand. Who are you and I in relationship to God? One of the things that I've been struck by in reading this psalm is a very sober judgment of how important Jordan Rice is. To call myself a speck of sand on the beach is too flattering. I am not even, I'm, I'm not even that. And you and I are, we're tiny, we're, we're dust. And David asked this question in verse 4 that I think we would all do well to wrestle with. What is a human being that you would remember him? In, in the context of the vastness of the universe, of which we are a tiny, tiny, minuscule speck, or the son of man that you would look after him. Now, the first temptation that humans ever faced in, in Scripture we see in Genesis 3 was the temptation to not believe the reality about us, the most true thing about us. Was a temptation to subvert our relationship or who we are in relationship to an all-powerful, almighty, infinite God. So in Genesis 3, it says these words. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat, eat it or touch it or you will die. No, 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 no. You certainly will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What is the first temptation that comes to humanity? It is a temptation that we can view ourselves as more powerful or more significant than what we truly are, that we would be like God. What is God? God is unlimited. So the first temptation that enters into the sphere of human consciousness is a temptation to throw away your limitations. The one thing that God wants us to embrace. Now, over the years, I've read the scripture, I've taught this scripture, and one of the most profound things about this account in Genesis is that the, the tree that God said not to eat from was in the middle of the garden. Let's think about that for a second. Why wouldn't it be all the way to the left or to the right out of view? God strategically and intentionally put it in the middle of the garden because he wanted them to always be reminded of their limitations. Everywhere that they would be, they would always have a visibility. They would always have a view of, their, of them being limited beings. Now, this puts us in two realities, in between two realities, both of which are true. On one hand, we are told that God enters into our reality, and God invites us to pray. God invites us to pray that when we are in situations in our life that we seek God to change, God tells us that we should pray and we should not faint. 
we should keep praying. And there are so many people in this room, for example, who I know for sure are the, are the benefactors, are the recipients of an answered prayer. The prayer that changes your life. Uh, I got a confession. When I was growing up, I would be in churches and, you know, shout out to everybody at Shiloh Baptist. Uh, and the churches I would go to in, in high school and when I went to college, you know, it's different than Renaissance. Services were two, three hours. Pastor had on a robe. He wasn't wearing Jordans. And, um, but it was also more excited, right? So you would always see people busting out and taking a lap and running around the church. And me, in my deep theological sense, I would always judge them as lesser than. Look at these people running around the church. What are they doing? And then it hit me, once life hit me really hard, that I've never, at that point in my life, praised God in an undignified way because I didn't know what it felt like to be chased. If you have ever lived through something in life where it felt like the world was swallowing you whole and God entered into your reality and changed something, you would run around too. So on one hand, God invites us, commands us to pray to him and to not ever accept the notion that he is distant or that he does not have the power to powerfully change our scenario, our situation. On the other hand, we are situated between another reality. The other reality is sometimes our infinite and sovereign and all-knowing God has a better plan than the one that we are requesting from him. Sometimes God in his wisdom, sometimes God in his love allows things to happen to us that don't feel loving or wise. And we are faced to confront situations that we do not like. What do we do in those moments when the answer is either not yet or no? Are you able to then embrace your limitations and submit your life and trust that God is good and knowing and all-knowing and powerful, even though life doesn't feel like it is. See, what robs us in so many situations, what robs us from joy, what makes life unbearable, sometimes is not the situation. It is our expectation that every situation is changeable, and not every situation is. What robs a lot of intimacy and closeness in relationships is that we think every person is changeable, or certainly changeable to the tune that we want them to change in the time that we want them to change, and that is not the reality. So what do you do when you are in, in a situation, and in your limited mind, you certainly would change it, but God, for whatever reason, is having you in the situation? I think we would do very well to recover this theology of humanity that David is presenting to us here in Psalm 8, which lets us know that we, we are limited. We are limited. We are limited in our ability to understand. We are limited in our ability to change things. We are limited in our ability to, even if God were to explain to us why things are the way they are, we wouldn't understand. We're limited in our ability to see what actually is good. I've been reading this poem for the last couple of months. It's a poem called Welcome to Holland by a woman named Emily Pearl Kingsley. And uh, the poem is called Welcome to Holland. And it's Holland like the country, the Netherlands, where Amsterdam is, not like the Holland Tunnel. Um, and in the poem, uh, what prompted Emily um, 
to Emily Kingsley to write this poem was she had just given birth to a child with severe needs. And all her life, she dreamed about having a, a normally learning and, and typical, typically learning and behaving child. And she, uh, her child had severe disabilities. And she describes it in this profound way. I don't want to call it beautiful because uh, it might even rub you the wrong way at first. Um, she, she describes it as, imagine your entire life, you dreamed about going to Italy. And you took a couple classes in high school on Italian. Uh, you did, you know, all the research online about the best gondola rides in, in Venice, uh, the best time to go to the Colosseum in Rome. And your entire year, you spent thinking and dreaming and planning about this amazing trip to Italy. And then you get on a plane, and you hype, passport stamp, you're walking past people, you're like, yo, I, when I get to Italy, I'm about to eat, I'm about to gain like 20 pounds of gelato and pasta, and you're so excited. And then, as you're on the plane, you hear the flight attendant come over the air and say, we'll be landing in Holland in the next 25 minutes. And you're like, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm going to Italy. They're like, no, 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 we're going to Holland. And you get off the plane, and there you are in Holland, and for whatever reason, you're not allowed to leave, and you have to spend the rest of your life in Holland. What Emily Kingsley says is what most people do is they spend their life in misery because Holland is not Italy. And they're walking past the fields of tulips and they're crying and they're complaining. They're walking past the architecture and the Rembrandt and all the different artists and the windmills, all that Holland has to offer. And they're not able to take anything in because they're just too busy lamenting that they're not in, in Italy. Now, here's what Emily Kingsley says. She says, if you spend your life mourning the fact that you didn't get to Italy, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, the very lovely things about Holland. Now, a lot of us in our lives right now, you have an Italy of where you're supposed to be. That might be relationally. That might be vocationally. That might be in any number of ways. And... In some ways, your challenge with life right now is that you are not embracing the fact that you are limited. You're limited in your ability to change things. For whatever reason, God has you here in Holland. And I think the invitation that God is extending to you today is to enjoy Holland. Some people in your life that God has called you to love, they will never change. Or they won't change anytime soon. Some situations that God is calling you to endure will not get better anytime soon. But there is beauty there. There is something for you to learn there. There is an encounter with God there, if you will allow it. If you will embrace your limitations and say, God, who am I? You have created all of this universe and stretch it out just with your fingertips. And if you have me here in Holland, in this situation, although I'm still praying for you to enter and to change things, I'm going to look for the beauty of what's going on around here in Holland, and I'm going to trust you right here. Our current media cycle and all of the things in our culture yell at us that we can have life without limits. We can have everything we want. Our parents tell us that we can be everything, anything you want to be. No, you cannot. <laughs> I got vertigo. I could never be an astronaut. I wouldn't make it past one day. There are limits in our lives. And the more we kick against our human nature 
And the more we fail to understand ourselves in relationship to an infinite God, sometimes we'll be really miserable in life because we will just be complaining about Holland, and that might be where a good and infinite God has us for that day. In our limits, they are places that we encounter God in ways that would otherwise be impossible. If you will allow God, if you will embrace your limitations, and if you will allow God to show you to look around there, you might see him in more powerful ways than you can ever imagine. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, me and my oldest son, we went to a father-son camp. It, it was great in some ways. Uh, I've realized certain things about me as I'm turning 40 years old. I, like, I need a comfortable bed, right? I mean, I'm not a camping person. I'm a glamping kind of guy. That's just where the Lord has me in life. <laughs> glamping is my Holland that the Lord has for me. Um, but the time in camp was good. And one of the things that I realized about my time as a dad with my two sons, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, was that my six-year-old he really didn't get as much access to me over this past year and a half. So, you know, my, when my youngest turned two, um, he had a couple of speech delays, and he's doing, he's doing great now. But because he had some speech delays, my wife and I really poured all of our energy, a lot of our energy, into him. That and surviving a little thing called the pandemic. And as I was praying one day, I realized, I think in so many ways... Those who have the most access to God are the ones who are the most needy. Those who have the most access to God, our Father, on a daily basis are the ones who need him the most, are the ones who embrace their limitations, are the ones who say, God, I don't know my left from my right if you wouldn't teach me, if you wouldn't lead me. And I think what God is inviting us into, to encounter him in real ways, to have access to him in ways that we are resisting right now, is to embrace our limitations. Uh, so, So on one hand, not embracing our limitations, not having a good theology of humanity prevents you and prevents me from enduring life's difficulties and challenges with perseverance and with joy. And we might miss out on a lot of good things in the process. But another thing that really having a bad theology of humanity, humanity does for us, I think it robs us of purpose in life. It robs us of what our purpose in life is. Now, years ago, I used to have conversations with people and they would say, yo, Jordan, man, you're so lucky because you have discovered what your purpose is. Like, you're a pastor, you're a church planter, you started this church. And before, I would kind of nod and say, well, you know, this is what I'm doing. And now I say, absolutely not. My purpose is not to be a pastor. I, am, I love Renaissance. I love this community. I hope to be here for decades more, plural, in the future. But my purpose is not to be a pastor and stand on this stage. My purpose in life is to follow Jesus. Your purpose in life is to follow Jesus wherever he will take you. That's the part. Let me ask you a question. Do you want the will of God for your life? Really, seriously. I've been haunted by this account in John 3 in the scripture where I've been asking myself that question. Jordan, do you want the will of God for your life? In John 3, John the Baptist, this man, he was Jesus' cousin, and he was called John the Baptist, not because he wasn't John the Pentecostal, but because he was famous He was famous for baptizing people. He had this huge ministry. He was well-known. He had a big name. He had this huge ministry going on in uh, in Judea, near Jerusalem. Now, people would come to him from all different parts of town, and he was 
He had built a big following, and he had had, had a lot of disciples. Jesus comes along, and he baptizes Jesus, and he starts pointing people to Jesus. This is the one in whom I am not worthy to even tie his sandals. And then something happens in John 3 and 26. John's disciples come to him, and they say, everyone is going to him. All of these people who used to come to you, they're not coming to you anymore. They're all going to him. The masses and the crowd have left. In John 3 and 27, here's how John responds. Out of this theology of limitations, of weakness, of embracing wherever God has him, he says, no one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. Now, here's what John was able to say. He was able to say, I accept my limitations, my humanity, my declining popularity, because I am not the center of this world. So I'm willing to embrace wherever God has me because it's not about me in the first place. And in John 3 and 30, he says these words, which I hope will follow you and haunt you the same way they follow and haunt me. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. The problem with purpose is that we always want something that is increasing us, not decreasing us. Increasing our popularity and our fame and what people would say about us. And not something that is decreasing us, decreasing our finances or our time or whatever, our peace, our comfort. We always want increase. We never want the decrease. Do we want the will of God for our life? What if the will of God for your life is decrease? What then? Do you want that? The only way we will be able to walk in the purpose that God has for us is if we embrace and accept this theology of humanity that places us not at the center of the universe, but it says that we serve a God who created all of this, and we are like dust. We are the grass of the field here one day and, and gone the next. Uh, yesterday, the men's ministry had a dope cookout um, at Morningside Park. Shout out to all the organizers of, of that. And um, we had some brothers come by from an organization called YFC, Youth for Christ. And Youth for Christ works with children, uh, kids who are teens who are incarcerated or have just been released from incarceration and their charge to our Renaissance men was that they need mentors. They need people who will go by one of the juvenile detention facilities and play Uno or play spades and to earn the right to be heard with them. And here's the thing about working with uh, that population or any teenagers. You could be doing something with one of these kids for a decade and they will never say thank you. You could, be do, you could be pouring your life out. Think about this. You could be pouring your life out in service of someone who never says thank you for a decade. But what if the call, when Jesus is saying, follow me, what if he's saying, follow me here? What if he's saying, I want you to spend your life decreasing? What then? The only way we will be able to receive God's will for our lives. God's purpose for our life is if we remove ourselves from the center of, uh, of, of importance, we place God there. And we say, God, you know, back in the day, I used to always pray the prayer, God, you know, show me where, show me where you want me to go, and, and I'll go. And that, that's, that's disobedience waiting to happen. The prayer is never, show me where you want me to go, and I'll go. The prayer is, I'll go. Now show me where you want me to go. We, we must... Embrace our limitations, that we do not know 
where it is that God wants us to go without, without him telling us and leading us and guiding us and accepting from Jesus whatever that invitation is, even if it's something that doesn't feel good, even if it's not something that would lead to us growing in, and having a good name, even if we'll never be on a stage, if anybody will ever pay attention to it. Uh, I've told many a story about one of my mentors, a guy named Brother Al, and Brother Al is the reason I'm a pastor today. I say this because I went to a church in North Carolina that went through like crazy corruption. The pastor literally did a building fund and just like used the money so corruptly. There was like so much corruption in the leadership. It was, it was not even funny. And I was like, you know what? I'm cool on all this church stuff. So when I went to seminary, I was like, I'm not even going to work at a church. I'm going to work at a prison because I wanted to run as far away from I could, as I could from pastoral ministry. So in working with, um, in, in, in doing prison ministry with, uh, uh, with um, in Sing Sing, I met Brother Al. And Brother Al restored my faith in what it means to be a man of God and what it means to be a pastor. For 20 years, Brother Al was a pastor, and he served faithfully Thursday after Thursday in Bible study in Sing Sing Prison. None of you have ever heard his name if I didn't mention it. He's never written a book. He'll never be invited to, he would never be invited to Oprah, but he had a meaningful impact in so many people's lives because he was faithful. The call of God on your life, the purpose of God on your life, it might take you somewhere where people know who you are. It might take you somewhere where nobody knows who you are. And if we were to receive our humanity as a gift from God and, and, and follow him wherever he'll take us, he might just make our lives more meaningful than it would be without it. The scripture gives us another contrast, though. Uh, it doesn't just say that we are not important. It doesn't say that. It says that we're small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but it doesn't say that we're not important. Later in verses 4 and 5, as David is asking these questions, he says, What is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him a little less than God, and here's what it says, and crowned him with glory and honor. As humans, yes, we are small and in the grand scheme of things, relatively insignificant. But on the other hand, we are told that we have been made a little less than God and crowned with glory and honor. And there's something incredibly special about that. So how many of y'all watch the Olympics? Shout out to everybody watch the Olympics. Yes, I watch like every event I can get my hands on. Um, my goal in four years or three years is to be in Paris watching the next games. Um, that would be amazing. But... I love, like, the crowning ceremony. When someone gets to stand on a stage and be crowned or to be given this medal, like, think about how special it is to be an Olympic champion, to be crowned in that way. Now, when Scripture says that we are crowned with glory and honor, it is saying that God has placed something on us that is incredibly special, which means that nothing about you or anybody else is meaningless or not important or something that could be dismissed. Rather, the gospel says that you and I are of immense value and immense importance, so much so that God sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf. There's a story I read in the New York Times about a father, uh, his name is Guo Gangtang in China. And decades ago, there were many abductions that were taking place, and um, his son was stolen at two years old. So his son was playing in front of the house and someone came and abducted him, presumably to take him to another family to raise him as their own. 
Immediately, they set out on a search for their son, as any parent would do. And a week went by, a month went by, a year went by, and years went by. And long after the authorities had stopped searching, this man biked all throughout China on, a, on his motorcycle, all throughout the provinces of China, chasing down any lead he can find to find his son. 24 years after he was abducted, he found his son. It's captured in the story, a movie called Lost in Love that profiles this father who went in search for his son. And it's a beautiful image of what the gospel says about us, about God. Long before this father ever hopped on a motorcycle to search for his son who was lost, there was one who put on skin, entered into the depth of our humanity, a man named Jesus, who came to seek and to save the lost. And he would stop at nothing, not even the, the, the cost of his own life, to bring us back, to have a family reunion, us reunited with our Father in good standing. Now, this is what the gospel says about you and me and everybody who has placed our faith in Christ, that God has special care for us. And in his love and care for us, he asks us to move aside from the center of the universe and to follow him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for... Um, your care for us, for how you know who we are, for how you are accessible to us. Father, help us to disabuse ourselves of the notion that we are like you in the sense that we are unlimited. Help us to embrace our limitations. Help us to embrace the limitations of others, to be kind to people's weaknesses, to be gracious to others, to be gracious to ourselves, but most importantly, to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.